when we're looking at it, I don't want to just say, here was the dam and here's the site. And when I say genetics, we're looking at, take Bolt. He's the one, we got more puppies in the kennel now out of Bolt. He's the winningest dog in the history of the game. He's four-time dog of the year, 23-time champion, you know, three national limitational wins. So he's special. And his father's in the Hall of Fame. Well, there's a gene pool that's got depth to it, right? Well, he's obviously sired a lot of our pups. You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by B-Pro Kennels, On X Hunt, Final Rise, and a Nook Shook Professional Dog Food. Guys, B-Pro Kennels is making the best dog box on the market today. It is fully customizable. Um, It is just built well, and it's built here in the USA. Uh, Give Ben Proctor a holler over at B-Pro Kennels uh, and design your custom dog box today or grab one of their um, staple three-hole or two-hole boxes today. BProKennels.com. Use promo code ROOKIE10. Saves 10% off your order at BProKennels.com. And if you aren't using Onyx Hunt already, I highly encourage you to check out onyxhunt.com today. I have been personally using Onyx for about five years and it has helped expand and grow and open up hundreds and thousands of acres of publicly accessible land that I know exactly where I stand, exactly where I can hunt, where I cannot hunt. And it gives you so much incredible information um, to make your hunt more successful. Um, Check out onyxhunt.com, use promo code ROOKIE20, save you 20% off your subscription at onyxhunt.com. Final Rise is making the most premium, high quality upland gear you will find on the market. Guys, I've been using the Summit Vest and now the Sidekick Vest for several years. Um, It is a staple. It is a staple for my training routines and trialing season to every single hunt I am on. Um, I'm rocking the Summit Vest. Um, They have a whole line of a a new uh, early season lightweight hoodie. They have a brand new upland pant, brand new Summit XT vest. Guys, they are rocking and rolling with some incredible gear. Check them out at uh, finalrise.com. Also, guys, we have the giveaway with Final Rise um, live. So go to Patreon, get signed up for uh, the giveaway of a brand new Summit XT vest and a pair of the field gloves from Final Rise. So get signed up on Patreon today. And be sure to check out Anook Shook Professional Dog Food, the only sporting dog, high-performance dog food I'm feeding my string of dogs. have been using this for several years, and Anook Shook has delivered and lived up to and surpassed all the hype you've been hearing about online, through friends, kennels, breeders, all that. And it has just been a high-quality, premium food. Uh, I've been able to cut back several cups of food for my dogs, still keeping weight on them, during season, during trialing, whatever it might be, these dogs are in the best shape they've been in personally in a long, long time. And thanks to Anook Shook Professional Dog Food, they have four incredible formulas. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson. As always, I'm coming to you from this beautiful Friday afternoon uh, in early March. It is springtime. It's almost turkey season. Um, We got some trials coming up here. We are rocking and 
rolling. Um, hope everyone's doing well and having a great start to your spring. Um, whether you're going to be out chasing long beards or getting ready for some trials, um, whatever that might be, hope everyone's doing well. Thank you guys for uh, just some support and love. You guys have been um, showing the podcast over the last um, couple months, really. Um, you know, love, love the shares on social media. Um, you guys have been writing in, uh, been answering a lot of, a lot of messages. Um, people just catching me up on on their season, um, catching me up or asking questions about trials, um, Nastra, whatever it might be. Um, so love the engagement, guys. Thank you just for following along on this journey uh, of the podcast. As you know, um, really, really has been a fun project and a fun, um, just a fun experience for me personally, just to get to meet um, new people and uh, learn a lot myself along the way. This is not just me. Um, you know, consuming or uh, giving content out there. I'm consuming this as well uh, from guests that I've interviewed and and people I've met online. Uh, It's been a a huge, huge, um, uh, made an impact on my life, I know, and as a bird hunter and and, um, I don't know what I'll call myself, rookie dog trainer or whatever that might be. (laughs) It's been been fun. So thank you. A couple things I wanted to jump into. First off, um, training birds and training your dogs on pen-raised birds. I'm just going to say it. I, I debated whether talking about this or not. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to piss some people off. But there's there's a perception out there, um, and I say perception because I've, I've directly, personally, have talked with people about this, several people, um, whether it's online, in person. And there's a perception out there that from some people, I'm not saying this is everyone that training your dogs on pen raised birds is bogus and you should only be training on wild birds come June or July, whenever that opens up that you can run on public land and and run your dogs on wild birds. That is freaking awesome. That is fantastic. If you can um, get out to a state that allows that run your dogs, train your dogs on wild birds. Um, But Okay, I'm going to throw the butt in there. Um, not everyone is able to do that. So what's the next best solution? <laughs> pen raised birds. I'm sorry, but it's, that's the other option. It's either pigeons or quail. That is what majority of, I believe, upland hunters have access to. If you don't have access to wild birds and it's not the time to run on wild birds, um, then you're not going to be able to do that. And spending that time with your dog What's the harm? What is the harm in, in running your dog on a pen raised birds? If that's all you have access to, you're, you're trying to create the best um, possible experience for you and your dog. And obviously there is, is um, thoughtfulness and you need to um, train your dog and run them on pen raised birds smart. You can't be dumb about it. You can't let them catch it. And you're going to hear in the interview, actually, um, I talked with George here in a little bit. He talks about you know pen raised birds and launchers and strong flying birds for training. That's super super important. Um, so it's, you just have to use what you have access to. And if you don't have access to run on wild birds or it's not the season, that's okay. And and again, as you'll actually hear George you know say in this interview, um, you know especially with young dogs, it's it's some a little bit of bird work. Um, a lot of it's not though. Not everything is about bird work. There's if you're working on maybe force fetch, force fetch with a dog, or I don't know, healing. Like those things don't even require birds. So I don't know. I, I know I'm rambling. I know I'm coming off a little. You know, I'm a little amped up right now. Um, but don't don't let that discourage you. If you're trying to work your dog 
um, run them, condition them, train them, working on something specific. If you have pen raised birds and that's what you have access to or pigeons in a launch or whatever it might be, like obviously do it smart, learn like what's going to be your training style? What's the goal? Obviously. Um, but if that's what you have access to, that's, that's great. Like get after it, have fun. That's what this is about having fun as well. So anyways, that's, that's my two cents on, on training birds and pen raised birds. It gets talked about quite a bit. So anyways, last thing before we jump into this interview today, um, we have an incredible giveaway happening with Final Rise. Um, Head over to patreon.com, look up the Upland Rookie podcast and uh, become a Patreon supporter today to get entered in that giveaway. We're giving away a brand new Summit XT vest and a pair of the field gloves from Final Rise. So incredible giveaway over a $400 value. Got to get signed up on Patreon. Um, I posted the details there as well as on social media. So go check that out. Um, I did give an option um, for you to get one, basically one extra um, entry into the giveaway. If you share the post I made on Instagram, uh, just share it to your stories, tag the podcast. Um, that's a way to get one entry. Um, I'll just tell you, your odds are going to be a lot better signing up via Patreon. So get signed up on Patreon. Um, everything from Patreon goes back directly to the podcast. So um, not only are you in this incredible giveaway with Final Rise, um, but you are helping support the podcast. So appreciate that. Uh, last thing, I do have some hats available still. Uh, so if you'd like an Upland Rookie hat, um, hit me up uh, a direct message on Instagram. Um, the podcast page would be ideal. Um, haven't been checking the Upland Brits account as often. So shoot me a DM and um, shipping address, all that good stuff. And I'll make sure to get a hat out to you pretty quickly. Um, and then just Venmo is the best way for payment. All right, guys, this is a uh, really fun episode. I got George Hickox on the podcast today. Um, this is going to be a multi-part episode. I'm going to kind of break it up. It, it got super long, super in-depth on a whole bunch of, of stuff. Um, we go way in-depth on trial dogs, on training, clicker training, e-collars, pressure, um, dog, uh, really development of a, pu- of a puppy. And I love the way George unpacks this for us. Um, so look for a multi-part episode because um, it, it was a lot of content and I didn't want to put that just in one three-hour chunk. So anyways, guys, um, be sure uh, you are subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you'll get all the latest uh, episode drops and uh, be looking for the rest of George Hickox. Uh, so this is going to be part one. Enjoy. Debbie Debbie did. I rode the gallery. I was uh, on a busman's holiday. Okay. okay. Debbie's dog ran campaign by Sean Kinkler and uh, uh, six dogs were called back for the finals. Okay. And then those six dogs ran and then they picked their national champion from that. And her dog, Jill Z was braced with the dog that won the nationals. Ooh. Um, but it was exciting. Dog had a great performance and, yeah. um, you know, so it was good. That's exciting. And where's that run at again? Uh, Sedgefield plantation in historic union Springs, Alabama. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, a ton of trials down there. They oh. have the free-for-all going down there now, amateur free-for-all. And that's <laughs> okay. a big, big event. That's really? a social event as well as a field trial event. Okay. <laughs> is, is a free-for-all literally free-for-all, or is this just the name of the no, trial? No, it's just just the, name, just the name of it. And, I mean, there's a lot of people go in. It's, uh, you know, they camp there, and they're, you know, horse trailers and living quarter trailers. And they, you know, hunt a whole bunch of dogs. There's a callback for that, too. Uh, unfortunately, they got hot weather down there, so mm. dogs are going to have to be in condition to get through it. 
but it's a, you know, it's a big event, but it's an amateur event, an amateur field free for all. Gotcha. So it's a big turnout. Absolutely. That's very cool. That's very cool. Well, George, we're uh, we're going to dive in here. Uh, I'm really excited. Do you uh, you agree to uh, jump on the podcast with me here? Um, well, I appreciate it. Very excited to uh, to pick your brain a little bit and sit down and, and ask you some questions. So, um, thanks for doing this. But for any listeners, um, you know, out there, uh, maybe they don't know who George Hickok is. Can you uh, can you do two things for us? Give us kind of a, a little overview of of who you are, and then uh, put us on the map. Where are you talking to us from? Okay, the uh, who I am is professional dog trainer. Okay, I do clinics and train dogs. I've guided from Alaska to you know Georgia, where I am now. We spend our winters in Georgia in the wild quail plantation country, and we spend our summers in North Dakota. Hmm. That's that's a nice little mix there. You get <laughs> obviously you get away yeah, from the snow. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to be trying to train dogs in North Dakota during the winter time, but it's it's pretty hot and humid and buggy down here in the summer yeah i'm sure i'm sure that's great because you go up to north dakota like summer like june july ish kind of time right yeah yeah you can start running on wild birds july 15th normally we go up before that um and maybe you're working on yard training but it's also you just can't get much dog work done Hmm. when the heat you know comes into georgia sure and uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you snakes are behind every tree, but it's snake time. So, you know, Oof. okay. The, uh, so I'd rather be in North Dakota where it's a little cooler yeah. and, uh, you know, and then we start running off horseback, even though, even the walking dogs, okay. Dog client dogs that are walking dogs, you know, they're not going to be riding horses. We still start them off horseback so that we can get the handling in hmm. and, you know, we can change the range anytime. Uh, and that's one of the big advantages uh, North Dakota for all of us going out there is we can get our patterning work done. Mm. You can't get your patterning done in the piney woods of Georgia or the grouse and woodcock woods of, you know, North country, Wisconsin, Michigan. You just can't get patterning done to the same degree. So we get our patterning done. We want a dog running in 10 to two. Yeah. Okay. Where he's out in front, 10 to two, you know, and that's not a, that's not predicated on the range that the client might want or what we might want for a field trial dog, just 10 to two, whether the guy wants a 75 yard dog or he wants a 500 yard running dog, mm. you know, 10 to two is how we're looking at. And you just can't get that done in the woods. Mm. So that's one of the things. And of course, all the wild birds that are out there. Yeah. I mean, in the cooler, yeah. in the cool, in the cooler weather. <laughs> kind of, yeah. A little bit, a little bit of paradise. Again, you get all the, co- yeah. the cover, the weather, less snakes, obviously that's, that's a pro. You were not there for the, you know, for the fine wine and the, you know, and the great restaurants. We're there to do work and <laughs> yeah. roll up our sleeves and morning comes early. Horses are, you know, in the trailer before sunlight so we can get to the, you know, training grounds and turn them loose. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's just, it's just a great thing. What the prairies does, Jason Williams, professional trainer, great deal of respect for him, made a remark once, the prairies give a dog integrity. Hmm. And I agree with that. Okay. Really? I mean, it's just, you know, the birds and being able to run there, you're not having to hack at them. You're not having to, hmm. you know, you're not nervous about where they are. You're not nervous about them getting hit by a vehicle. Hmm. Um, And and really, I think you uh, kind of mentioned, I mean, a lot of it's probably because you can see them, right? Because I mean, down in the woods, I mean, it's just, you're not able to have visual. You can't. Sure. In the woods, when you start with an untrained dog, an unfinished dog, you don't know whether he took the birds out and he's chasing them. You don't know if he's creeping. You know, you don't know if he's back casting. You just don't know. Okay. So if you don't know, it's pretty hard to fix it when you're looking to raise the bar. Okay. to, To excellence. So, you know, that's one of the advantages of the prairies. Yeah. 
No, it's, it's a paradise up there for sure. Um, well, George, I'm really excited for this conversation. We'll, uh, we're going to get into a lot more of uh, training talk and, and all that. But um, one of the things I, I like to do is really kind of get to know people a little bit more. And one of the things I, I love to find out is, can you tell us a little bit more about, I mean, I guess your upbringing, like were you raised in kind of the bird dog world? Or was this just a part of your family and upbringing? Or is this something you kind of developed later in life? Could you kind of just catch us up on on your um, intro into bird dogs and hunting? I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. And back then it wasn't one big city like Atlanta to Greenville. Okay. So there were a lot of small farms and those farms had quail on them and, you know, hedgerows and soybean and espadiza and so forth. So I did a lot of time quail hunting as a kid, just taking a dog who I thought was the world's best dog at that time. But in retrospect, he was my dog, but maybe not the best one. The, uh, you know, and I went quail hunting, I went squirrel hunting, I went rabbit hunting. Uh, that's what I did. My family did not. They um, originally grew up in the Northeast, okay, and, and hunting was not, uh, was not something that was in their, their makeup, hmm. their DNA. Um, you know, so I just found it nicer to be in the woods, okay, than it was walking down the street. You know? <laughs> the, uh, so, you know, I got my first dog when I was five years old. Um, and I spent a lot of time in the woods and a lot of time chasing quail with an old J.C. Higgins single shot gun. That was my first <laughs> shotgun that I saved up from my paper route. Okay. Oh, nice. The, uh, and, but anyway, that's where I grew up, um, you know, in Greenville and, and there. And then, oh, probably when I was a young teenager, I got invited to the Thomasville area of Georgia uh, with somebody to go on a wild quail plantation hunt. And, of course, mm. we're in the the capital of, of wild birds, so to sure. speak, with quail here. The uh, And I went, wow, this is just, you know, the cat's ass. Okay, <laughs> this is pretty cool. Okay. And it just, you know, it became a march and uh, did that. And I guided from Alaska to, you know, here in the West and Dakotas. Um, and just, you know, just sort of gravitated. Uh, and then I've been very fortunate to know people, you know, dog trainers can't afford a private wild, wild quail plantation. So <laughs> not, not the, in the budget. No, nah, it's not, you're not going to amortize it. The, uh, so, you know, it, it really helps if you've got friends and or clients that have plantations that you've got a place to train, train on, um, you know, and, and so much of training with anybody is the grounds they have to produce the dog they want. If they mm. don't have the grounds that they they need to, you can't train a duck dog if all you got is a sand pit. You know? <laughs> okay. So, uh, same thing, you know, so we're real fortunate there. And then, um, we've been in the Dakotas for a long time and, you know, we've made lots of good friends and contacts out there. So we have access to literally thousands and thousands of acres that we run on, um, which is, you know, it's just, it's great. Yeah. The, so that's what it is. And then somewhere along the line, uh, remember Dave Meisner, you know, he's dead now, unfortunately died too early, but Morning Dog Journal and mm. Gun Dog Magazine way back then. Anyway, so Dave was a real good friend of mine. And I said, yeah, I'm going to take two years off from field trials. That's all I did at that time okay. you know, before the real guiding. And the, I said, I'm going to take two years off. I'm going to see my daughter play in fiddle concerts and my son played little league baseball. Okay. Because when you're on the circuit, you might be in wherever, Alberta mm. one weekend and Texas the next. Sure. And so I took two years off. He says, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't have a clue. I just know I'm going to see some fiddle contests. Okay? <laughs> the, uh, and he says, why don't you do a clinic? So I did one. Okay, at a place called the Flying Bee Ranch out in Idaho that David set up. 
and I did the clinic and I said, wow, that was, that was pretty much fun. I enjoyed that. And so then I just started doing more of them and, uh, you know, learn something about myself because before the clinic, if you told me I would get a blue ribbon feeling from doing a clinic versus hmm. a field trial, I would have said, you don't know me. <laughs> I didn't know myself because when I started doing the clinics and, you know, it's just a tremendous reward, um, of trying to help people get there and have more fun with their dog. Yeah. You know, um, that's wow. Sort so of so you were, were you already kind of, of just dabbling with like, I mean, obviously it sounds like you were training your own dogs then. And like, when did the, the training become, I guess, where did you learn how to train dogs? Like, was that something you, okay. <clears throat> well, a lot of it was self-taught, which is not the way to go. Tell anybody <laughs> that. Get a, get a mentor. Okay. But I spent a lot of time hunting. Okay. And then I went to a field trial to see it. And I said, wow. Okay. You know, I'd like to do that. So I started doing them. And I was very fortunate. Like, I put a tent on the back of a guy's property who's in the Hall of Fame. You know, and I lived in that tent up there for over three months. Just oh, wow. training dogs and, you know, learning it. So I've been fortunate over the years to work with, you know, people who are Hall of Fame trainers. Yeah. And, you know, you, you start stealing. Okay. Mm. So plagiarism is okay. You know, if it works, <laughs> what works you keep. Right. And, and I think that's the same with clinics. I tell people in clinics, you're not paying me for the dogs we've had that became field champions. You're paying me for all the ones that I messed up because we made mistakes mm. and make them. Okay. And the quickest way to get there is rather than experiencing, you know, lo losing a bunch of dogs. Sure. Is get somebody who's already gone through that to help you be able to get there. Yeah. You know, and show you what not it's to not do. It's not rocket science. Sometimes I think people make it way too complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like all these, you know, a, a checklist of a thousand different things and... Uh, you know, we had a litter dog was, uh, this is Springer's. I used to run Springer trials and I was fortunate. I had some high point dogs out of Springer's and the, uh, before I just became solely pointing dogs, the, uh, so anyway, I had the litter first time was the litter and there were seven puppies in that litter and I was going to keep one of them. And I didn't care whether it was a male or a female. So six people came over on a Saturday. They spent all day doing whatever people do to pick the best puppy. <laughs> and they finally left with their six puppies and obviously left me the worst one. <laughs> and that became the 98, you know, 1988 high point dog. Oh, no second way. Second in the nationals, you know, so you start with genetics. Yeah. Okay. And then proper training. Yeah. So if you got a plus genetics and you've got D foundational work, well, you're not going to have a winner. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's just how it, how it's going to work. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Genetics, training, nutrition takes all three of those to reach the top. Oof. That might be the title of this episode here. <laughs> well, but it's true. I mean, if you're missing any one of them, you're feeding potato chips, you're not going to have it. Yeah. If you've got the best genetics in the world and you've got a terrible training program, you're not going to get it. And if you're the best trainer there's ever been and you got D genetics, well, yeah. you know, you're not going to have the best dogs. Absolutely. Well, those are things we are definitely going to get into uh, a little bit more on this. I would definitely want to unpack genetics <clears throat> a little bit more. And of course, training while, while we got you on here. Um, real quick, George, sure. um, are you able to put that mic a little more in front of your face? You don't have to be as close maybe, but just so it's directly in front of your mouth. What about like that? Yep. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Yep. Love it. Um, okay. That's perfect. Um, and I'll just, I'll just take this little part out. But um and then kind of, kind of last thing. So, so it sounds like you were, you know, dabbling in field trials when you were younger, you were, you know, started to kind of put on these clinics. Now, when did, you know, the kennel and kind of the, I guess the formal training program or kennel that you started, when did that come along? 
Well, back when I was running Springer's, I was a full-time pro, and I was on the circuit, and I was sponsored. Okay. Wait, wait, you were running said, Springer's? Just, you ran Springer's? I, I, I ran Springer's in field trials. I had really? a couple high-point Springer's, yeah. I wow. ran them way before the, the bolts and those type of dice came okay. in. Okay. Uh, and so then I had a farm in Canada where I trained up there and then I got sponsored for Canadian high point, which we were fortunate enough to win. Sure. And, you know, we ran, we ran Springer trials and that's what I did. Okay. The, uh, and then when I took the two years off, you know, I started guiding more. So that's when the Alaska trips came in. Mm. And as I started guiding, I needed a different, Springers are a great pheasant dog. Okay. I mean, they're just a great, they're a great pheasant dog in my opinion. The, but I was, you know, I was guiding in Alaska. I was guiding in Georgia. I was guiding in so many places that walking behind a flushing dog for mm. somebody, that's a lot of walking. Yeah. So if you take Alaska, I mean, it's nicer to send a dog off however far a thousand yards. And if he doesn't, if he's not on point, don't walk there. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Nobody wants to walk the tundra you know, for the fun of it. <laughs> right. Okay. So, you know, the pointing dog just became the, uh, the dog that I was using for the hunting that I was doing for the commercial hunting, okay. that, you know, guiding that I was doing. And that, that's really where the transition, wow. um, you know, came. Okay. So, yeah, so that so kind of moved you me. from the springers to the, the pointers. Move me from flushing. Yeah. Move me from flushing dogs. You know, I had some pointing dogs, but I was on the springer circuit. That's, okay. So that was you know, most of your energy was focused and absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, you know, I had the others and I did some hunting. I go take them dabbling in them. Uh, and then, you know, it just, it, it went and springers really, you know, we're commercial. That's the bottom line. You sure. don't have to make a living. You have to pay, you know, sure. have to pay bills. So if a dog is just staying, if you're not generating income from him, then he becomes a friend staying in your motel room. <laughs> okay. And, you know, and that's great. Uh, but when you're, you know, making a living out of it, you know, the dog has to generate sure. income. The, uh, so I couldn't yeah. generate income from guiding with the Springer on the type of guiding I was doing. Okay. Mm. So, you know, if you're just, if you're guiding pheasant country, you know, whether that be Nova Scotia, small farms, or, you know, Midwest, South Dakota. Sure. Springer's great. Okay. But that was a limited portion of what my guiding became. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, okay. Before, because I have another qu kind of follow-up question on, on the pointers, but I'll, I'll get there in a second. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about, I, I know you've, you've done some training with like uh, canine police dogs. Is that correct? Not police dogs so much, special forces. Special, okay, okay. okay. And when, when did that yeah, kind of then inter, intertwine with your story? <laughs> well, that's funny. I was doing a clinic, uh, a bird dog clinic, in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And there were a couple guys from the military who came to that clinic. And I thought they were just on, you know, vacation and came to the clinic. And about the second day or third day of the clinic, one of the guys of the group came to me and spoke to me and they wanted to get me on base. And they were with a very elite group of special forces and leave names out of it. The, uh, and so I went there and, you know, mostly that was Malamois hmm. and I started working with it. And from that, there were other, I lost your picture. Okay, oh, you're, so you're I good. I can see, hear you still. Okay. All right. So I'll go back. So they mostly were Malinois and there were some other people that they invited from various groups within this country and out of this country. And so we just started doing, you know, special forces work. Wow. And I would tell anybody, you know, if you had the, if you could to be able to train 
a bite dog. I don't mean the police dog who barks from the back of the thing. The dog is going to find IEDs, take targets out, make sure that you come home to kiss your, your bride and your kids hello. You know, that dog is trained to a very, very high level. Hmm. The, uh, and training, in my opinion, learning is learning. I think the, you know, the dog learns the same way. The task might be different. For hmm. example, let's take an IED. So we know that, you know, the period of portion, there were, you know, there were ground bombs. Sure. So the dog's job was to alert us <laughs> that don't keep walking in this direction, hmm. right? The, so you wouldn't want that dog to smell it and then dig it up mm. or take it out. He'd have to stop, wouldn't he? Oh, and when you see him stop, sure. say, whoa, what's the difference between that and a pointing dog pointing a covey of quail? Oh he can't goodness. take them out. It's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. It's just the task is different. Okay? Wow. Um, so once I think somebody understands how a dog truly learns and doesn't get anthropomorphic, not trying to use a big fancy word my <laughs> daughter taught me, um, <laughs> The, uh, you know, the reality of it. So I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks, and I'm sure we'll get there further down in our conversation, are mistakes that people make or current mistakes that I see frequently happen, you know, is not understanding how a dog learns. What is he? Okay. I mean, my biggest one, which won't make me popular with everybody, but let's take the thing when somebody says, okay, the dog wants to please you. I ask people in a clinic, I want you to tell me one thing that your dog has ever done that the reason he did it was to please you. <laughs> Hopefully he did all kinds of things to please you. <sighs> he pointed, he brought back a bird, you scratched his ears, you had a good time. Okay. But what, what did he ever do that he said, you know what, if I do this, it'll make Will feel really good. This steak is really good. You want part of it? Well, I've never thought about that, George, but that makes total sense. But it's true. So, you know, if we, and, and I think to complicate it with, you know, with people there, they, it's easy to like people who are nice to you. And it's very difficult to like people who are not nice to you. And we want our dogs to like us. We want us to love them. So we say, we'll be nice to them. We give them all kinds of freebies. Hmm. Okay. And we give them rewards for doing nothing yeah. or reward for doing the wrong thing for, you know, perfect example would be the lab. You got a little lab puppy and you throw a tennis ball for it, a bumper, whatever, clip wing pigeon. And the dog runs out and he's not bringing it to you. And I'll see the owner go, good boy, that a boy. What the heck's he being a good boy about? So we reward him. For things that in the dog's mind yeah. is different than what's in our mind. So learning what a dog is and how he works, he's not complicated. There's not a bunch of rules. Yeah. But if you break those rules, it's going to make training more difficult. Wow. That, that's fascinating. So these, these special forces guys then, they, they were really, yep. it sounds like, coming to the clinic just to learn learn how you or, or someone trains the dog and how, they under, how the dog works or understands right and then just apply that same kind of method would you say to uh, their task yeah for i guess you know barring some of the methods that work okay um but these are guys that for all intents and purposes have had dogs they've probably been deployed hmm. okay and they've come back with a dog that's been deployed so numbers of things might happen maybe the dog is leaving early to get a bite well, that dog wants to get the bite as much as your bird dog wants to get the bird. Okay. That's their motivator, you know, right? Yeah, he's not unpredictable, okay, but he's been trained. So early on, his whole life has been 
you know, biting is fun. Tug of war. I mean, just like you mm. wouldn't take a bird dog to the quail pen and beat it up because it was jumping on the quail pen. Mm. Well, it's the same thing with a bite dog. You got to make playing tug of war and getting the guy in the Pillsbury Doughboy suit, you know, the big <laughs> sure. bike suit. Um, you know, it's supposed to be fun. Later rules get put in, mm. but you're not putting the rules in, you know, don't bite the assistant at the motel yeah. until after you've already got the dog biting, you know. So, you know, mostly they're herding dogs and they've been trained. Right? Yeah. So those guys are pretty knowledgeable. Um, we're brought in a lot because of electronic collar use, okay, because it's a little different. Those, you know, the male and, and some of the shepherds, I mean, they're tough dogs. Yeah. So they can take, they can take more pressure than maybe some of the bird dog breeds. Sure. Okay. The, uh, so by taking the pressure didn't mean the pressure was the correct way to do it. And I'm not a goody goody two shoes now. Sure. I mean, I'll say to all our viewers, if I had an epiphany today that said, you know, if I hit my dog over the head with a rubber mallet and knocked him out, he'd wake up trained tomorrow looking like a million bucks. We're going down to Lowe's. <laughs> the reason we don't is it doesn't work. Sure. Okay. So you want things that's going to work to create a student that says, I enjoy going to school. I, I want to learn. I want to learn more. Teach me more. Yeah. Okay. We're learning is fun. If somebody's just using pressure and discipline all the time, then you'd rather play hooky than go to school. Yeah. So I think the same thing is true with a dog. Yeah. There's a time to, you know, that you're, it's not a democracy. Yeah. You know, if you're telling a dog to come here and a car is coming down the road, you want him to come here right now. Sure. The, or there's a rattlesnake there and you don't want him to go to it and stop whatever the, but it's a process. You know, the, uh, I'm a big college football fan and Nick Saban's had a pretty good career at Alabama. And one of the lines <laughs> he always uses is it's a process. That's what dog training is. It's mm. built on strengths. It's not built on weaknesses. It's a process. To mm. get there. That's really good. That's really good, George. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, we're going to, we're going to get into the, the training stuff a little bit more here. Um, I was going to finish up this section here. Um, but you, uh, I mean, primarily right now you're running pointers, right? Yep. Okay. So, so you're, you're kind of, you know, if people think of George Hickox and I think the next thing they would think of, Oh, pointers. Um, what, what led you to the pointing breed? It, was it this, was it field trials? Was it just cause you liked them? Like what, what led you down the pointer route? I think the pointer within the bird dog world, like I like Malamaz within the bite dog world. Okay. They're very, very athletic. They're the real deal. Okay. There's lots of great dogs out of a lot of different breeds. But the English pointer has a advantage, okay, as a athlete, hmm. okay, and he also processes uh, uh, food differently. So he saves his fat for, I mean, he burns his fat before he empties his glycogen, hmm. uh, which is a big deal as far as endurance. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of the sled dogs up in the in Alaska sled dog country, Diderot, Copper River, they've been bred to the pointer. There's a reason. You know, really? they weren't bred to, they weren't bred to my springers, you know? Wow. And, and, and he's, he's and, metabolically different. And, and real quick, that's, that's a pointer specific thing. That's within the yep. bird dog. Wow. Okay. Well, and, and hounds. Okay. Okay. Some hounds are like that because they're, think about the endurance that the hound has. Okay. Sure. So he's, he's different too. Okay. So it gives him an advantage. So I was just more enthralled by the English pointer. Um, you know, he's very intense on point. Not that there's not Britneys that are intense on point and setters and sure, sure. pointers and every other breed. Um, but he, he's different. And also with the pointer, he hasn't been camouflaged in other arenas. 
Okay. You know, he's been pretty much a dog that, you know, originated out of the South, okay, for quail hunting. He hunted, okay? That's what they were there for. Um, and you know, you mean and that so, they haven't really gotten into, like, the, the, the sh- breeding for show and all that? Yep. Okay. Exactly what I mean. I was, I was trying to be politically correct, but that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what I mean. Okay, just want to make the, sure I was uh, tracking with you. Yeah. Our pointers, somebody asked me how much they weigh or how tall they are at the withers. I could not tell you. Hmm. I can tell you, does he point? Does he run? Does he have to have another bird? Does he look like he owns the country when he's going? Sure. You know, so if a dog was Perkle, I think he's beautiful. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, and I'm not, I'm not challenging the people who are in the show dog world. You look at some of the agility dogs. They're amazing. You look at fly ball. It's amazing what people have done to train the dogs to those levels, you know, so you just pick your sport. Um, And then, you know, running dogs off horseback is something that's appealing to me. Um, as I said earlier, when we train a dog for walking, we start off horseback to get him to handle, yeah. then we're going to go to the ground. So just as a little caveat, just to, so some of your listeners don't get confused, we're going to train that dog in the prairies cause he can see us. Hmm. He can see our horse. So if we train him to go to the left when we turn the horse's head to the left or go to the right when we turn the horse's head to the right, hmm. when we go to the ground, he's going to handle exactly the same way. You don't have to be blowing a whistle, beep, beep, beep. And carrying a shotgun in one hand while you point in another direction with the other hand. Okay. Just, you know, he's going to go with you. Yeah. Somebody says, well, here you have this big running field trial dog. How's he going to go with you? He just does. Mm, Cause he's queuing off of in the, in the first case, the horse. Now, yeah. Right. So he's, you know, that becomes his beacon. Mm. And then later he's going to queue up you when you're on the ground. I'm not talking about dogs that are rebels. Uh, and that's probably more pertinent to us in the shooting dog arena. Those dogs are going to be call it three, 500 yard dogs. Mm. Versus the all-age arena, they're going to be much, much bigger running. Uh, and they're going to be a little different makeup, hmm. okay, in their desire to be. One's going to be a little bit less independent, okay? <laughs> and one's going to be a little bit more independent. Sure. Uh, you know. So so one, one follow-up question <laughs> on the on the pointers for you. Um, so, so when you're yep. doing breedings then, are you then not putting as much emphasis on, let's say you have a, a real big male, like you're not – Again, your priorities, Georgia's priorities, are, are you not paying as much attention to the size and, oh, we want smaller, we want bigger, or is that just not a huge priority? Or? Well, I, it's, I'm not going to say it's, I don't want a midget, <laughs> and, I don't want a dog, and I don't want a dog that's so big that he's lumbersome sure. that he can't carry his body weight. So, you know, he's, you've got, you want a deep chest with high RPMs. Hmm. You know, so the the more RPMs and horsepower you have with the less mass he has to push, the hmm. faster he's going to be. Sure. Okay. So it's like, a, you know, a lab who's great at what a lab does, but he's not going to be able to run all day in the prairies for the pointer, is he? He's right. carrying more body weight, you know, yeah. to do it. Different, different strokes for different folks. The, so when we're looking at a breeding, it's going to be real simple. Hmm. I'm going to start with genetics. Hmm. It's not whether he was orange and white. It's not whether he was liver and white. It's not whether he was black and white. So that, that's out the and window. Not, that's out. That's gone. Okay. The uh, And when we're looking at it, I don't want to just say, here was the dam and here's the sire. And when I say genetics, we're looking at, take Bolt. He's the one. We got more puppies in the kennel now out of Bolt. He's the winningest dog in the history of the game. He's four times dog of the year, 23-time champion, <laughs> you know, three national imitational wins. So he's special. And his father's in the Hall of Fame. Well, there's a gene pool that's got depth to it. 
Right. Well, he's obviously hey, 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 George, a hey, lot of our pups. Hey, George, hang on one second. Can you repeat that? Right right when you start talking about Bolt, you cut out for a second. So just back up okay. to there. Okay. So Bolt, a lot of our puppies, okay, are going to be bred about a, are going to be bred where Bolt's a sire. You know, he's four times dog of the year. He's the winningest dog in the history of shooting dog field trials. He's 23-time champion, winner of three U.S. Invitational championships. His father's in the Hall of Fame. Bolt will be in the Hall of Fame when he passes. Sure. Um, you know, he's just he's a really strong dog who's throwing a lot of good stuff that's, that's doing stuff. So if he was somebody else's dog and not ours, I'd be paying the stud fee and I'd be breeding to him. Mm. All right. Okay. So let's say in our case, and I go back to where I alluded, you know, it's commercial. The And we're going to keep a lot of puppies out of a litter. We never breed a litter. We got Jill Z, uh, Debbie's Derby Dog of the Year, is, is due probably Sunday, Monday of this week. Um, you know, we don't look at selling all the puppies out of it. Mm. We're not in the puppy business. Yeah. We're in the education business with dogs, right? So, you know, we, we want the strongest ones for the client, mm. that the dog is level-headed, that, you know, it doesn't take a pro, okay, in a pro's regiment, mm. okay, of consistency to stay that the guy's proud, you know, button-popping proud for this dog he's got that he or she can go hunting and go wherever or go to a local preserve or make a trip to the prairies. The, uh, so I want a dog that's going to be intelligent and I don't say that lightly. Okay. And we're going to find out how intelligent he is when we do our early clicker training. Hmm. Okay. So it's not a guess and say, Oh, he's a smart dog. Everybody's dog's smart dog. Okay. Well, is he really smart? (laughs) You know, um, the, uh, so, it's going to be genetics flavors so much of it. And it's not just the sire. So who's the dam? Who's the dam mm. out of, you know, or her parents in the hall of fame. There's, I think me sitting around the bar, so to speak and talk and somebody says, Oh, you don't want a field trial dog. Okay. Because of hunt. Mm. Yeah. You want a field trial dog that you trained to hunt. That's what you want mm. because the field trial dog proved that he can be trained to a very high level. Mm. Right. No matter what level somebody decides to do it. Sure. So, you know, that strength of pedigree to me is the number one place to start. Yeah. And it's not animal farm. It's not animal mm. farm. You know, hey, so. Two, two questions on this, George. Uh, this is one of the questions I was going to ask you later, but we'll just get into it now is, um, you know, I, I, I've heard people say, oh, well, uh, a field trial dog can't be a good, you know, foot hunting dog or, or a bird dog because because they're different like what's your argument to that like why or why not i think you kind of just mentioned it a little bit but why don't you like explain that a little bit more like a, a high caliber okay. field trial dog being a hunting dog still well let's take bolt obviously pretty high caliber okay last uh weekend we had a hunt at the plantation of wild quail we ran bolt wow. okay he was a plantation shooting dog that's who we ran all right I've had dogs that, you know, I guided them in Alaska and they're going to run really big in Alaska because I don't want the client having to walk forever Mm. to find out the, you know, the ptarmigan are down by the river and not up on the, on the hillsides. So the bigger the dog runs, the less walking we got to do, right? Oh, sure. He has to hold point. Okay. Now the dogs in the grouse woods, then if he's running 500 yards, I don't care. Even with GPS and bells, you're going to have a tough time finding him. So he has to adjust to the topography hmm. that he's hunting, right? And how he learns to do that is exposures and experience. Okay. You know, I mean, so perfect example is take a dog that comes out of the Midwest. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of tree lines there, yeah. you know, shelter belts, right? So a dog, and that's where the birds would be. Sure, there's not birds out in the plowed field. Okay, <laughs> they're down by the tree lines, right? Whereas when you go to North Dakota, we're CRP grass. I mean, we're grasses. We got sharp tails and hunts, and you know, very few tree lines. Sure, right? Okay, so a dog comes out of the Midwest. It takes him a little bit of time to not look like a lost, you know, a lost person out there. Where's my, where's my objective? Mm. Okay, because it's not there. And then same basis, take the grouse woodcock hunter. As soon as they get out of their vehicle, the dog's in an objective. Yeah. So it's different. Yeah. Okay, you know, so the training that that dog has in locations becomes his learning. And he doesn't forget. He makes an elephant look like he's senile. <laughs> so once a dog has learned it, he's got it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's the way it is. That's I mean, great. So, you know, it depends what somebody's going to hunt, where they're going to hunt. Do they hunt multiple species or is somebody live in Texas and they're going to hunt bobwhite quail in Texas and that's all they do. Or they live in Wisconsin, they're going to hunt grouse and woodcock and that's all they do. Sure. You know, so, um, I think that good bird dog, I do think wild bird dogs are born more than they're made. Mm. Okay. When you get, when you get little puppies, they still, I mean, they need training now. In sure. my opinion, there's no such thing as a self-trained dog. <laughs> but let's take one of those hedgerows we're talking about in the Midwest. And let's say there's some quail in there, whether they were release birds or they were wild birds, right? The, the little puppy that's running on the upwind side of that hedgerow is not going to find any birds. Mm. The one who was running the downwind side of that hedgerow had a much better opportunity to find a bird, didn't he? Yeah. So as a predator, the dog that was more genetically inclined to hunt the downwind side of that hedgerow is going to find more birds than the dog mm. who hunted the upwind side. You know, mm. so there's a certain amount of savvy that I think comes with it as a predator. Yeah. You know, I mean, still training. I mean, you know. Sure, sure. The, uh, you know, but uh, there's, you know, some dogs and some lines within the breed have just proven themselves to be more adept at being bird finders. Yeah, absolutely. I oh, love that. Okay. Thank you for, for explaining on that more. Um, well, awesome. As we kind of wrap up this, this kind of first section here, each, each section we go through, I have a, I have a listener question. I'm going to kind of throw in there for us, uh, kind of break things up a little bit. Uh, some of these are fun. Some of these are serious. Um, so someone <laughs> asked, <laughs> uh, I'm taking them all serious. Oh, good, course. good. Somebody once said, you know, it's, it's not a case of life and death. It's way more important than that. Okay, so. <laughs> way more. Well, someone, I, I think I left this one out on the outline, but someone asks, uh, they said, ask George what his favorite hockey team is. And I'm like, I don't even know if George likes hockey. <laughs> Listen to my accent. I know. I'm okay. like. Ice, ice is something that you put in tea. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to ask George that because I know the answer. <laughs> I don't know about the hockey team. You ask me about football teams. I might be able to give you something. Uh, so when I was a kid, so, so growing up, I understand there's hockey. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, there's hockey teams in the South now. Yeah. When I was a kid growing up in the South, there were no hockey teams. <laughs> so, so George, you're a big uh, LSU fan, right? Uh, Alabama, Georgia. <laughs> George, I live in Georgia. My son went to Georgia, so. Uh, I'm going to ride the laurels of Georgia being a two-time national champion. <laughs> there you go. You know? There you go. Whichever, whichever team I made the $5 bet on, that's my favorite. That's your favorite one. Okay. <laughs> no, but the, the, uh, this question, Jeff, uh, Jeff asks, um, if, if you had to only run flushing breeds, what would it be and why? Are they including retrievers? Give me a hint here. Are they including retrievers? Uh, in the they don't, they don't say. Talking? They, they just say if you had to only run a flushing breed. Okay, let's assume when they're saying that they're only talking about upland sure. hunting. Yep. 
Okay. Not warm weather duck hunting, yep, cold yep. weather duck hunting. Okay. If I was going to take one dog and I said, that's how I'm going to have my dinner. And I live in bird country now. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take a Springer's manual. Springer. Okay. Okay. I, I kind of felt okay. like you were going to go that way. Not, and I don't mean show Springer's now. Sure. I mean, they are radically different than the field. Mm. You know, the fields, field Springer's a high octane pheasant dog. Yeah. Um, and I'm talking about one that's trained. It sits down on the flush. He flushes a bird, drives in like a heat seeking torpedo, comes off the ground, trying to rip tail feathers off. Hits the ground sitting, hmm. you shoot the bird, he waits for his name to be called. A dog that you can stop on running birds. The pheasant's running, he gets beyond your gun range, you can blow a whistle, the dog sits down, you move up. You might take that bird and stop the dog five, six, seven times sure. before you put that bird to the air. Hmm. That type of dog, I tell you, he, he's deadly up there. <laughs> I bet. I bet. So, so you're going to take the Springer over the, uh, over the popular uh, cocker? Well, the Springer's got more horsepower. Okay. Now, you're going to see more cockers down here in Georgia for the wagon dog that's doing okay. the retrieving for quail. They pointer, you know, set oh, or whatever. Okay. Brittany went out and pointed them, and they shot some birds, and then they call for the wagon dog. Oh, is that what they call a wagon most, dog? Yeah, because okay. he's sitting in the, in the wagon, the gotcha. dog wagon. Okay. Going on. So he gets called uh, to come do the retrieving because most of the uh, the plantations, they're not using their pointers or setters or Brittany's or wire sure. hairs or whatever it is, any of the pointing breeds. Okay, they're not using them to retrieve. Yeah. Okay, if the dog's retrieving, that's like getting a million dollar paycheck. They don't want they don't want him breaking. What's the most mm. important thing he can do? Find a bird, stand there, don't move. Mm. Right. So retrieving is not normally part of it. I'm not talking about the guy who's got one dog and goes hunting to get it retrieving. Sure. But here in plantation country, yeah. the wagon dog is going to be the one that's going to pick up the cripples or the, you know, down dead birds right. or whatever. Okay. Um, so cockers, they're really neat. And cockers, I think, have come a long way in 20 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. But for cattails and hunting all day in tough conditions in the West, you know, he doesn't have the same horsepower as the Springer mm. has. That makes sense. Okay. That would be my only... Yeah. You know, but dandy, dandy dogs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know the, the cocker spaniel craze is, is sweeping the country left and right. People are, are picking up cockers. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, even down here, I mean, you see a lot of it yeah. and you don't see labs as a wagon dog. They'd make us, you know, very often. Sure. They'd be a certainly very serviceable dog because their mental makeup is to be able to be line steady, stay in a duck dog. You know, they're not right. wired like that. I mean, they can be energetic and stuff, but they're not going to handle the heat as well mm. as some of the oh yeah breaks. especially down south okay. yeah right okay so if somebody says well i can't go hunting when it's 75 78 degrees well then there's a lot of days you're not hunting yeah, yeah. <laughs> then just uh, be yeah be ready yeah, not to hunt yeah i mean sure i mean we're going tomorrow morning it'll be a little cooler tomorrow morning the weather forecast says that you know at sunrise it's going to be you know in the early 60s okay okay but it's going to get up to you know 70s pretty quickly and sure then it'll get up to the 80s and we won't be we won't be. That's a training day for us. Now, when yeah. it's hunts, you do whatever it is. Sure. You just rotate the dogs more often, keep them well hydrated. And we can talk about that later because yeah. you've got a thing in there where you asked me about drinking afterwards and so mm. forth. And I assumed you weren't talking about me having a beer. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you'd be surprised, George. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Well, let's dive into kind of the training side of things. Um, I think that's that's kind of the, the bread and butter, meat and potatoes of, of this. But um, I mean, first off, George, what can you use, again, people will say the Hickox method, or I, I use the Hickox method. Like, can you say, explain what, 
what is that and what isn't that the hickox method when, when someone says that <laughs> i don't know what the hickox method is really. you, you hear it all it's the time something. it's like oh i use this i use the hickox method I'm like oh okay <laughs> well i think that you know a lot of times successful pros okay their vernacular or the verbiage they're using might be different but i think the training ideas and philosophies are pretty much the same okay um you know re reward for strengths and you know correct for failures you know that's going to be something there the big thing on that is when do you decide it's failures and when should you correct hmm. okay when should you reward and we can talk about that a little bit more later yeah. the uh so hickox method i don't know we were probably i guess in the bird dog world one of the earlier people involving clicker marker training in our in our training okay okay um and we're big big proponents of it that's not to be confused when somebody says oh you mean you get your dog to just go out and hold point out in the field by clicking no <laughs> no you don't okay and oh click and give him a hot dog if there's birds there a dog's not going to take a hot dog anyway if he does if he'd rather have a hot dog than the bird give him to your next door neighbor i mean he's, he's not a bird dog okay mm -hmm. the so the clicker portion develops a dog to learn to learn the biggest portion with it in my opinion well twofold one is you're not making him do it hmm. okay so the dog is a push-pull animal if you push his head down what's he going to do little puppy you push his head down what's he going to do he's going to push it back up Right? Oh, you say, okay, you want your head up, so I'm going to push it up. Hmm. What's he immediately going to do? Push it down. down. So he's a push-pull animal. That's that dog who wants to please you, by the mm. way. You know? <laughs> they, they, uh, they do everything to please us, uh, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so there's going to be during that stage, or for his life perhaps, um, that there's always been, what, you're telling me you want me to do this? Okay, and there's a little bit of an impasse. Hmm. Okay. The, with the clicker, you're not using any compulsion and you're not using any voice. Hmm. So you're getting the dog to give you a behavior. Hmm. Let's just make it simple. Take a kennel. You could lure him, throw a piece of hot dog in the kennel. He runs in, he gets the hot dog. As he ran in the kennel, you clicked him. He didn't know what the click meant the first time, Sure. but a dog learns by association. So, you know, it's, there's nobody who trains dogs in any breed, any task that can say that he doesn't learn by association. Mm. I mean, it's, it's what it is. Yeah. So with enough consistent repetitions of that, the dog says, oh, when I hear the click, I'm getting paid. Hmm. All right. You don't have to pay him right then, nor should you. What you told him is good job. I'm going to pay you. Hmm. If you didn't use the marker, when would you have to pay him? You'd have to pay him right when he did the act. So let's take that whale in, down in SeaWorld, you know, that was trying to jump up, okay, with sure. a gal on his, on his nose there, and you hear the, the marker, okay? If they didn't use a marker to say, good job, I'm going to give you a piece of fish, they'd have to give the whale the piece of fish at the top of the jump. Because oh, if he got it when okay, he went okay. in the water... So, so he yeah, says, yeah. when I fall back in the water is what causes it. Uh, so you're trying to capture a moment, right? So by using a marker, it buys you time to administer the reward. Later, we'll get into it. also gives you time to, to administer a correction, but sure. we'll worry about that a little bit later. Okay. The, so by marking it, saying, good job, like you just scratched your chin. Yeah. Okay. So let's say that you scratched your chin and I went like that and I gave you $100. <laughs> 
it's not going to take you many times before you're sitting here scratching your chin saying, give me a hundred dollars, right? Yeah. Okay. So I wouldn't have to say, scratch your chin, hmm. right? You would start doing a behavior to make me be the trained monkey oh. instead of me making you do it. Which sure. You go, oh, I don't want you to make me. You're making me do it. Yeah. We're, we're bypassing that whole pack thing. So yeah. we're not in that fight. Okay. About doing it. And you take a dog like a Malinois, I mean, you don't want to try to push him. I mean, he's been trained to do body core damage. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to work well for you. Yeah. Okay. You know, whereas that clicker, um, we, we would start the foundation off with a clicker. That doesn't mean we're not going to go to corrections with any dog. Right. We're going to end up using a correction. Right. And I just, and I say that right now, we're not going to teach a new behavior with a correction across the board. Hmm. We're going to teach excellence with a correction. Hmm. Okay, that there's no option. So we're not using corrections or pressure to teach the dog a new behavior. Does that yep. make sense? Absolutely, it okay. does. All right. So then once the dog has it, take that kennel thing yeah. that he's now running in the kennel to make me pay him, isn't he? Hmm. You got a thing where you ask him about boards later, which we'll yeah. talk about, but same concept. Yeah. Right. So the dog runs in the kennel and I pay him. Yeah. But I have to, and I click him. So if I clicked him, I can't lie to him. I'm saying, good job, I'm going to pay you. Mm. I just don't have to pay you right now. The, the clicker is reminding them that they, they will get paid. It's a marker. Hey, guys, that's a wrap of part one of the George Hickox series. Uh, be sure to check out part two and part three coming in the next day or so. Uh, really excited for you to guys to, uh, to hear the rest of this conversation. George really um, starts to go a little more in depth and unpack um, a whole lot more of training and development. Um, it's just been a really, really fun series to work on with him. So anyways, guys, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, uh, if you could leave a rating and review, that would be awesome on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it might be, and uh, share it on social media. Maybe share this episode. Maybe share another one that um, was impactful to you. Maybe something you took away. Um, share that on your stories. Write a little, hey, this is this is a part I loved about whatever. So I would really appreciate that. Help get the show out there to more hunters, more bird dog lovers, just like you. Hey guys, thanks for following along. Uh, Until the next episode, take care and go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog.